Choa, we're in part two of this conversation. And my question to you is, how do you how do you measure progress in your life, in teaching, in whatever? Like what like I because here the reason I'm asking this is for people who missed part one, go back to that. Judging progress is something that I've had to look at in my own life. It's something I look at in teaching. But for you, like I, I'm, I'm interested in what progress looks like for you when it comes to everything that you do with how do you measure it? What do you consider it? I think some people lean towards comfort. Some people lean towards uh, credibility. Some people lean towards uh, establishing themselves among their community. What does Pam Ochoa view as moving forward, as accomplishing, as all of these things, as progress? Hmm. Well, I mean, when you're when you're talking about progress, you, you mentioned <clears throat> moving forward. And uh, I think that's a big part of it is, am I moving forward? Am I, or am I staying where I'm at at all times? So you're talking about what personal progress? Well, I can tell you when my, when my husband passed away, my progress of getting better was that I wasn't crying every day. <laughs> so the minute, so it's like, I didn't stay that way. I moved on. Uh, I still cry at times, but to me, that's progress. Even I'm, it, it took a long time. Uh, I think when it comes to my, my situation, uh, personally, I don't know. I think, you know, I, I'm a goal setter. A lot of times I've always been kind of a goal setter. Um, I referee volleyball, for example, and what I do there when I'm refereeing volleyball, if, if, for example, if, if there's a rule that crops up and I'm kind of, at least when I was younger, when there was a rule that would crop up and I'm like, Oh, I'm not sure. Cause it might be something that doesn't happen very often. Like it, it, you know, a libero rule, which is a replacement rule, which is different from substituting. And the reason that's one that I didn't play under that rule, that's a rule that was changed. And uh, it's a defensive specialist that gets to go in and replace back row hitters, back row uh, players. And so there's certain rules or certain, they have to sit out for a whole time. So anyway, if something like that would come up, like if there was a problem and I, and I handled it, but I wasn't sure if I handled it right. What I would do is I would go, okay, that's something I need to work on. So that would be the one thing that would make me set a goal. My goal is if that's going to happen again, I need to know to do, how to do it right. So before I left the parking lot, I would pull up the book. I'd always have the book with me and I would pull up the book in the parking lot. Cause you, it's not really professional to pull it up right then. You know, they, you're supposed to know the rules. And so, uh, but for me to get better, I would sit in my car and I would reread that rule in the case book and I would reread it and reread it until I understood it and almost had it memorized. Does that make sense? And sure enough, if I ever had any trouble, like, you know, on that, whatever rule it was, guess what? That was going to come up over and over again that particular year. And so, so obviously I would get that rule down. The next year I might work on, you know, a different rule, depending on whatever comes up. Uh, sometimes it's multiple ones. Well, now I've done that for so long because I have been officiating now for over 30 years 
right? And so when you're doing that, now, like the other day, uh, <clears throat> last week, there was a a coach, he was doing the libero. That's why it came up. He was doing it wrong. And we corrected him and told him that what he's doing is wrong and he needs to not do it that way. And he was like, and, and here's the thing. He is like the chairperson of the league that we referee for. <laughs> so it's like, like he has the potential to hire us for playoff games, which pays a lot of money. And we're explaining to him that he's doing it wrong. And he's like, oh no, I'm not. Y'all are wrong. And so he told me I was wrong. And I was like, okay. And he said, I'm going to look it up. <clears throat> and so he literally, while the game was going, pulled out his rule book. <laughs> He was like going to look it up because at the end of the game, he wanted to prove that I was wrong. And so at the end of the match, we get, we were sitting there, my, my partner and I, and he is like, look, look, it's right here. And I said, well, I, you might can interpret it that way, but it's not that way. Go to section one. And because I have looked at these rule books so much, I know what section these rules are in. <laughs> so I said, you're looking at the wrong section. Look at section one, not section four. And, and anyway, and he goes, I tell you what, he closes it up. I tell you what, I'm going to email your boss and let him know what the rule is because we we need to make sure that everybody's doing the rule correctly. So I'll let him know because I know you're wrong. And I said, okay. <laughs> so anyway, I have the case book and everything. So when I came home, I'm like, I am right. I told my partner, you know, I'm right. And he goes, yeah, because if you're wrong, we've been doing it wrong for 15 years. <laughs> and I said, well, we're not wrong. So I had the newest case book and the newest rule. And I looked right you know, because he closed it up because I think he realized he was wrong, but he was, I don't know. But so I look it up and I'm like, yep, I'm right. So I i emailed my my partner. I showed him the, you know, I I took a picture of it and I showed it to him because he goes, I don't want to hear from him. I want to hear from you. So I said, oh yeah, I'll look it up. So we we do that. Well, sure enough, tonight that same rule <laughs> came up and we knew exactly what to do, but we already knew what to do because we were doing it correctly. But it was just funny because we were right. And I think what it is, is, is by studying this stuff, like if there's something I want to work on, so this, it applies in teaching too. Like if there's something that happens, like there's a transition, I, I, that's probably my biggest issue uh, would be transitioning from one activity to the next. And people have a lot of um, ways to transition, but not all those ways work for me. So I have to figure out what way. So, so what I would do is I might get somebody like you or someone else, look, can you come in and watch my class? I want you to watch for transitioning and see. And so then we would kind of look at it. We would talk about it. They would write their notes and then we would decide what maybe I might could do next time. So then the next time I'd have them come in, but I would be working on what we decided and I would work on that to try to, to improve my transition and how I would know that my transition improved is between one activity to the next, the behaviors were better. That was going to be our measurement. So you have to, like you, like I think you, uh, you have to have a goal, right? But then you have to have a way to measure that goal. And so by doing that, I, I'm, you know, I study. So I looked at several different ways that people can tr transition. We decided one that could help. And then 
that's what we would do. And so then they would come in, did it improve? Did it not improve? What else do I need to do? And so if, if the kids were more comfortable, if the observer who was helping me was, you know, would see the improvement in the progress and I could see the improvement in progress, then I knew that that's how I'm going to do transitioning from here on out. I still didn't eliminate all my problems, but to me, that was always my biggest issue is transitioning from one to the next and keeping everybody calm in the classroom, especially on those rough classes. And I never, you know, I still could work on that. Uh, but I knew that I progressed because I wasn't the same way I was before. Does that make sense? And so yeah. same thing with, um, you know, like right now I'm I'm at the retirement stage, right? So I'm always listening to these retirement radio shows, <laughs> podcasts and stuff, because I want to make sure that my money, that I'm handling it in a way that is going to help me because I'm watching my parents, right? And they have done great. But right now they've fallen into some health issues. That's cost them quite a bit of money. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, so, all right, I'm here at this age. My mom's 20 years older than me. So I need to be ready for that moment. <laughs> so I'm like listening to, how can I make sure I'm ready for that moment? So I have all the resources that I need. So, so I'm not there yet, but my goal is to be able to be where my parents are because they're having these issues. Now they're tighter on because of the things that they're having to do that have cost a lot of money, but they're able to hang, you know, hold their ground because I mean, they're, they've had to tighten up. Right. But they're still able to go out and eat with me on Sundays. They're still able to do some things because they took care of something 20 years or 30 years earlier. Does that make sense? So I talked to them about it. I want to make sure I'm doing those things. And so I'm what I know where I started and I'm watching like progress, my my ability to do that grow. Does that make sense? My my savings and other things are growing because I'm being more mindful of those things. So I'm always setting a goal. Same thing with learning. Um you know, all these books, I would set a goal to read certain things, to study certain things like I do with that volleyball. I did the same thing with, with, uh, when I would teach. So, and, and I'm hoping for the same thing for my students. So like when we start out writing and they're all like staring at a blank page and they don't know what to do there, they don't know what books to pick when they're reading. Well, I, I set a goal. I hope that by this time period that they're able to do these things. And so you know, so sure enough, they grow. And I use our craft and draft books and all of that to help them see. So that's why I like having them go back. Let's go back and look through your books. Look at all this stuff you've done. Look at all the writing you've done. And you can just see them kind of set up a little higher. And they're, they seem to be willing to do, they seem to be willing to do the the next work because they've had some set success and they're always really surprised by the work that they've done. And um, so they start off with blank pages and then they end up. And I remember uh, it ended up with a ton of, of information in the book and one memory. And I'll end with this. 
I knew that we were successful when with our draft craft and draft when I had there's like three kids that just are in my brain I'm not gonna say their name right now because you know I don't have permission but there were three kids in this one class and the, it was like they were looking through their stuff doing one of our reflections and all of a sudden this there was like this big aha moment and they looked up and they said Miss Ochoa, look at all this work I've done. Oh my gosh, look at my look at my notebook. I had no idea we'd done all this. Oh my gosh. And they're they're like, I'm I, you know, and they were so excited about the work that they had done. They had no idea that they and and they even expressed how much they've learned and that that made them feel smart. And I think when they did that, I knew that we had made progress, if you will, on on that. So what's important to me is I do want to be impactful to others and I want to I want to make a difference. But I think the difference that we make every day, and I said I was going to end with that. I'm wrong. Referee, and I'm going back to refereeing today. I today I had a, I had some big games today. And you know, the most important thing, and I know I'm making progress, right? And let me tell you why I'm making progress. I know the rules. I know them so well that I'm not freaked out or stressed out when something weird happens in the game because I know how to handle it because I know the rules. And I and I care about kids. And I my goal for refereeing now is to be a blessing to both teams so that they can play the game without worrying about the adult on the stand and they can play and have fun. So here's the thing. And I will end with this, I promise. But on my way, I'm going to brag about myself a little bit, if you don't mind, since you asked the question. (laughs) I hope you do. (laughs) But today I'm waiting for my partner and we're in the lobby. We're about to walk out. And these parents from the opposing team, not even from our city, like they're in a whole nother part of the state. This one mother comes up and she says, ma'am, I just want to say thank you because you smiled and you were pleasant the whole time. And every time we've ever had you, the joy that you have for this game and for our kids just makes the whole atmosphere in the entire gym better. And then this other lady comes up and she says, you know, I wanted to say the same thing you do. You just exude joy. And I think it really helps our kids play better. And then another man came up to me. and, And so next thing I know, I'm surrounded, not in a bad way, but I'm surrounded by the opponent who's about to leave and they're all talking about how much they appreciate us. And they said, you know, you're not looking like you're, you're against any of the kids. You don't look stressed. You don't look, you're just enjoying yourself. And it's just so nice to see. And just thank you for doing that for our kids. So that's the goal. That's what I want at the end. I'm making an impact just by, calling a volleyball game but if it can make a little bit of impact but look at that that's in a whole nother community that's not even where i live and it's made an impact and that's how what we do in our classrooms so to me making that impact hearing about it later lets me know that i've made progress i don't know if that's what you got but that is on the soapbox <laughs> ladies and gentlemen this is the craft the drive podcast this is part two 
of our conversation about measuring a student progress. Hopefully you learned something from my conversation about my car today. Hopefully you learned something from Ochoa's experiences. That's what we love to do. We love to share our real world experiences because it's not just a podcast to us. This is our live. This is what we do. So thank you for supporting us. If you already do on Patreon, just like Alicia, Brandy, Leah, Mark, Amy, Sarah, Rebecca, Courtney, Carol, Melissa, destiny, Lori, Natalie, Susan, Tracy, Andrea, Hannah, Lori, Jen, Matt, Amanda, and Donna all do. They get the video that explains how we do craft and draft, which we talk about extensively in this conversation. They get early access. They've already heard part two because they're subscribed to the Patreon and they get the whole episode, the moment it drops, just like you can and so much more. So go support us over there. If you can't subscribe, show us anything, share this with everyone that you know, leave a review. If you have not already and come back next week for another fantastic episode, but let's get to the conversation. goes look get your have your right to a prompt right it was when we were doing like oers right open in responses mm-hmm. he's like have everyone on the team do this all the kids write their stuff and what you do is you create three piles you create a low medium high right or yep. a didn't get it almost got it and nailed it right whatever however you want to split it up <laughs> sorry ocho is talking trash behind the camera y'all can't see <laughs> I said, I told him that. In any case. (laughs) Play it around. He probably did. Um, We and he was like, just do that. Have kids write and then jump Mm -hmm. in there and then do that. And then you have your data, right? Look at how many kids are in this pile. Look how many kids are in this pile. And then you decide where they are. Now, obviously, to do that, you have to have a conversation with your fellow teachers or yourself if you're a team of one to really decide what those mean, create clear, defined things, and then you're there. And this is where it comes into, um, you have to understand, I, I think the importance of even saying something like that is you have to understand the, I guess the weight of, uh, like what, what does it mean to have, like what? what's a good check, right? So in writing, this is where like all the grammar stuff comes in. People are like, oh, well, I can see if they use, if they had the, these, this amount of errors, right? Now it's below this mark, right? That's where like the, the grammar Nazi comes in and teachers. But I think there's better things to measure. There's also bad things to measure, right? There's, I think it's hard to measure like the effectiveness of a piece. How do you judge that objectively? Right. I think Mm -hmm. that is a challenging thing, but you can judge structure. How was it structured? Is there a clearly defined structure? You can judge. um, This is and this is I I will say this because even I'm I'm, y'all can hear me debating myself in my head as I'm saying this. It's like, do you want to count points off for no thesis statement? Because that's what it is. Right. It's like, okay, we're going to practice thesis statements for five days. So everyone better have a quality thesis statement. Like we all know that what that means, but how do you judge a quality thesis statement? What does it need to have? And so you, I think that is the interesting piece to me of teaching. It isn't like once we get past like, okay, we need checks. Now it's like, okay, so what do these checks look like? What do they mean? Especially in writing. 
because it's like, how do you judge good writing? How do you judge that kids are doing this? And so my way around that, which is why I find it interesting, and I have this detailed and rightfully empowered. If you want to check out that book, it's also going to be it's detailed in so many of our podcasts going to be detailed uh, in the craft and draft book whenever that thing finishes. Um, It's the idea of you set your examples of what kids should do. So the way I measured it was since kids were writing whatever they wanted and whatever genres they wanted for the most part. I said this. So this timetable from this week to this week, we've covered these standards Tell me how these standards are present in your writing. And if you as the student can tell me how these standards are present or how you use them or how they manifested in whatever you were doing, then those points are there and then we can have the conversation. And it was I built a grading system literally around dialogue with the writer to where we walked away um in sync with what we thought, how well something went in grammar. And that was in there, but it wasn't the be all end all. I think that's when we lose the plot a little bit is when we're like, okay, so I'm going to take off 30 points because you have 30 errors in writing. And I'm like, ah, man. I, I get the intentionality of that. I just don't agree with it. And so for you, Ochoa, like the nuances of reading and writing, how do you make that a progress check without like, how do you, I guess, weigh like, is this something important or is this just easy to grade? So I'm putting it on the list of things that need to happen. Like, how does that thought process work? Well, um, first of all, I, I do, I do, um, self, I mean, peer editing, but I do it. It's, it's an Abydos strategy, the way I do it. And it's clocking is what we call it. And then, but, um, but actually it's just a, it's a peer editing. And, uh, and so the kids, they exchange their pages, that their papers. And what we do is the, whatever I taught that, that day before we do that editing process, one of the things that I do is I go back and let's look. So if it's for like, so editing to me is, you know, making sure that all the periods are where they need to be, the commas are where they need to be. You know, it's all the stuff you can fix. Um, it's not necessarily revision. So we, I make sure the students understand the difference between revision and editing. But I'm just going to use editing because you mentioned the grammar, the stuff that we usually mark 30 points off of. It's usually about comma usage and fragments and run-ons and um, those types of things. So, so the thing is, what we do is I've, I've already taught a certain set of skills for that particular paper or whatever it is, that section, that unit that we're doing, whatever you want to call it. And uh, then, so the kids go back through their notebook and they go to the mini lessons that we did and they, all the ones that dealt with, um, you know, commas or whatever it was we were doing. Let's say we were doing commas and semicolons. And uh, and then we'd already done in marks and capitalization. All that should have been done. So let's just say we're focusing on, on that for uh, the actual topic or the standard that, that week had to deal with, or that unit had to deal with compound complex sentences, right? Because that's why you would use those types of marks. So in the editing part of it, they would go back and they would look and then we would write a list. So the kids would give me the list 
I would help them if they miss something, but the kids actually give me the list. So by listening to their list that the class gives me, that lets me know what they remember and what they have in their books. Okay. And then I add a few, do you remember when we did blah, blah, blah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we have this list and then from the list, they go through and they peer edit each other's. And there's a technique that, that, uh, that I use, but it's actually in acts of teaching, uh, Dr. Carroll's acts of teaching. Uh, and so <laughs> we do this. And what happens is the students have to actually find any kind of error. So I'm not doing it. Really finding their errors. The kids aren't. Now, what I'm doing is I'm walking around reminding them about that mini lesson and those things. I'm having trouble all of a sudden. Hang on just a second. I'm sorry, everybody. You're good, Ochoa. Look, guys, the one thing you got to know about Ochoa is she is such a strong speaker that sometimes her throat just can't process her voice all the time. I don't know what it is. But anyway, well, it's turned cold today. That's part of my problem. And I, I usually have a reaction. I know it's it been cold. It's been affecting me, too. Yeah. So that's part of my issue. So anyway, and then um, but as they're doing that, I'm walking around and, and I am taking notes, whatever. But the kids have a place where they have to record what they're looking for and they have to record what they find. And then from there, that's an assignment that they turn in. I have the essays. Everything gets turned into me. And I look at these editing sheets, if you will. From there, I can tell if the students are getting it or not getting it, right? Because if they can't find anything, obviously, I need to reteach it. If they're uh, if they're able, if most of the students can actually find any kind of mistakes, then they can do that. Now, the reason it doesn't hurt the paper for the writer is now what happens is the person gives that paper back to them. They give them their notes. And then I give one more day for all the kids to correct their, their mistakes. And then from there, I do a conference. If you need help with uh, fixing anything, if you don't understand something, then we do conferences and then they can come and ask me, or I can just go, you know, sometimes they come and ask me or I walk around and I purposefully go there and then they they turn everything in and I double check it and then mark off what I need to reteach and then I reteach it, etc. But I give them a chance to to do that. I don't that's not typical. Some people just give worksheets on those types of things and they have to parse sentences and things like that. But that I do all that there's I do all that during revision and things like that where the students they don't parse my sentences they parse theirs if you will they go and they they find their things and, and I've got techniques for that but but as far as like checks to me this peer editing is a check but the students are responsible for the check before they get it to me it's almost like y'all are all in a magazine y'all are all the editors of a magazine I'm the chief editor at the end but I'm going to give you one more time to fix it before you actually submit it for publication. And so that's kind of how I handle that. But that's a check. And they have a paper that they have to fill out. And they put it. And then when I give it back to them, they put it in their notebooks as part of what, you know, they attach it in there underneath those mini lessons that they did. 
at some point. So I don't know this one thing. I don't know if I'm answering your question, whatever yeah. now at this point, because you know how you kind of go. And then all of a sudden you're like, what was that? What I was supposed to be talking yeah. about? No, it's, it's good stuff. And for someone who hasn't read it, like in the middle by Nancy, Atwell, which I've been wanting to reread just because I love that book, but oh, it's so good. one of the things that she talks about in there is, uh, she talks about how she's the final editor for her students, mm -hmm. right? If adults mm -hmm. in publishing can have multiple editors and a final copy editor and all these things, like why can't kids, like if we want to give them authentic experiences in writing, like <laughs> this is, I, this, I, I, I'm so passionate about this. It's been so long. since we talked about like nuts and bolts of this stuff, but, um, it is, we, we want kids to have real world math experiences. And so we try to put them in all those scenarios. We want kids to, you know, not just practice basketball, but really understand like what it takes, like, especially at the high school level, like what does it take to get a scholarship for basketball, for volleyball, for softball, for baseball, all of those things. And not every kid is going to get on that, but they have the accessibility for that. They have the, the focus, but in writing so often writing is a means to an end in terms of your writing to explain your response to this story that I forced you to read. You're writing to respond to this prompt that I forced you to answer. You're writing to answer this question that I forced you to answer. And so often is it not about just being a writer and what it means to be a writer in the real world and what that experience is like. Does that mean you always have multiple line of editors? No. If you're writing articles for like some website, like I, I wrote uh, last year, I wrote uh, an article um, around writing uh, for a, a website and there was no editor there. They were like, you know, you they're like they have they have like one line editor that goes through and just make sure like everything's like relatively good. But there was no content editor. There was no grammar like it was any of that. And so it was mostly me, which was fine. Like I'm an experienced writer. I can handle that. There's also times where like you can enter in like publishing competitions or just submit for publishing in general. There's no editor for that. It's just you. But there's also things like when I both my books had multiple editors on there. Everything from uh, helping me edit copy to ed to editing uh, the actual just structure and then editing like content. Like I had conversations around grammar and I also had conversations around like, hey, should this go here? Should we do this? Teach me teacher. That book was com the most complex thing I've ever written because there was essentially three stories happening through teach me teacher. It was my personal story of childhood. It was my story through teaching. And it was also my just reflective piece on education in general. There was three narratives happening at once. And so I broke that book apart no less than three times where I was like, okay, this, I need this order to switch in order to fit certain things, but I also needed it to match chronologically with my story because otherwise you would get lost in the personal piece of that book. And it was complex. And we like, I had heavy conversations with, uh, editors around that. And I don't understand why we can't do that for kids at least a few times a year. And if you build it into your class, which is what you were so good to do, uh, kids can be that for each other and they can go through that experience because you learn the same way you learn how to be a better writer by reading. 
a lot and a lot of variety is the mm-hmm. same concept of the more you help other writers, the more you become a better writer. It's like when I started, like it's like teach me teacher and craft and draft, like the more we talk about this stuff and the more I've interviewed and the more I've dove into this, the more teachers I've helped in their actual classrooms, the better educator I am because it allows me to think through things. You see things from a different lens when you're trying mm-hmm. to have triage or when you're trying to have support or you're trying to build scaffolds for somebody and kids need that too. They need to be able to go, I read this and I didn't like the intro. Here's why. And it doesn't mean the writer has, it doesn't mean the kid is going to give the best writing advice. It doesn't mean the writer's going to learn so much from that, but what it gives them is experience with that metacognitive piece, which is hard to do. It's mm-hmm. hard to get kids to get into that metacognitive level. But if you say, okay, so you didn't like that. Why? Now they're forced to justify their answers. Now they're forced to really mm-hmm. dive in and go, oh, it's the language. It's the sentence structure. It's, it just didn't hook me. The topic sucked, right? Like there's a thousand things yeah. that could be a reason, but those thousand things are less important than the process of figuring out why something didn't work for you. Mm-hmm. And now if you're lucky, if you dive into that, you'll eventually produce something that's effective for a lot of people. That's really rare in today's world. Everyone wants to make something, (laughs) you know, everyone wants to produce something that tons of people love, but there's only one Stephen King. There's only one James Patterson, right? There's only, uh, there's only one Glenn Greenwald, Glenn Greenwald, if you want to jump to some news, right? There's, it is what it is. There's only one Ben Shapiro, uh, but there's a lot of people who have success that isn't to that level, but they have very successful careers and lives. And I think that the more we set kids up for those experiences, just it just raises like it, it increases their likelihood of engaging with that real world aspect of what the English class could be. Um, but if we just limit kids constantly to just the 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 rote memorization and the 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 basic things that they have to do in writing and reading all the time like there no wonder kids are checking out and don't want to be in our classes because it's it's not real and they know it oh yeah i mean it's it's true and the more the student is involved in their own writing the better it is i i have this this memory of uh, about a few years ago a student uh she was she was in my honors class but she it was a really good piece that she read but if she had turned it in when I went to school, she would have had A for content, F for commas, and and then she would have had a 50. So I guarantee you that's what she would have had because that's how I was graded when I was going through school. And so the thing is, we had a conversation. I, I called her up there. She had turned in her paper. I'm reading it. And she is like sprinkling commas in like salt in your potato. I mean, it was, they were just sprinkled in there and they didn't make sense. But what she had written was really profound. And so I called her over and, you know, it had a conference, but it was, uh, and I said, explain to me about these commas here. Can you tell me why you used this one in this sentence? Can you tell me that? And she stared at it and stared at it. And she goes, finally, no, 
I said, okay, can you tell me why you use the comma down here in this sentence? She couldn't tell me. And I said, so I'm going to ask you a question. No, no big deal. But I want to know, do you understand commas? Do you think you understand commas? Or do you need some help with commas? And she goes, Ms. Ochoa, I've had so many people talk about commas. I'm so confused. I don't know what to do. And I said, okay, well, here, let's talk about them for a second. So then I told her why that comma wasn't necessary. Then I told her why this comma was. And I told her what she needed to do to add this one. So I took about three of them or four of them. And in our conversation explained why these were. I made sure they were different reasons why to use a comma in a series you know, uh, to combine a complex cause, you know, an if statement, you know, where you have to, uh, anyway, I'm not thinking all of a sudden, but anyway, and then you have to compare, you know, compound sentence, et cetera, and you use your, your, uh, coordinating conjunctions and subordinating conjunctions. So we, we talked about all that. I said, okay, I want you to take this paper and I want you, cause I knew that she didn't know commas, right? But guess what she's going to be tested on when it comes to her state test? There'll be some of those statements where she's got to figure out if it's a, if that sentence is accurate, right? Because she's got to know if it needs a semicolon or a comma or whatever. And so I said, okay, so I've given you three. I want you to go back and I want you to fix your commas based on what I taught you. She goes back and, and uh, she starts looking Adam and and I I put the comma rules back up and uh anyway she comes back because she's a real smart kid and she comes back and she had made those corrections and she didn't and she erased I said erase all the commas you don't think you need based on what I just showed you but the whole point that of that that story is when we were finished she felt better about understanding commas and the next time she wrote a paper, guess what she had in her brain when she had to come in and and fix it and revise it and edit it? When she put in her commas and she uh, did all of that, she felt comfortable. She had success. She knew what she was doing. And guess what? On the next one, we didn't have these issues. And she could tell me what it was and why they they fit there. So I came back and and I revisited it with her but I that's just a, a moment where she's a really smart girl right <clears throat> excuse me but I think I would have passed her by if I had not noticed and had a conversation here's the thing Ochoa you ready for this I don't think any of this is an exact science I think a lot of it is experience, much like, uh, well, at this point, this will be episode two, much like episode part one of this uh, was for me. You know, you, you have to dive in. You can't be afraid to make mistakes. You can't be afraid to do these things. You know, your your kids are going to learn if you're focusing on the right things. And you just have to learn what works for you. You have to learn how to constantly grab these checks. And I, Pam and I wholeheartedly agree that if you use the craft and draft journal system, you're going to, it's built to do this for you guys. It is yeah. built 
to give you the evidence that you need because it is clear when you sit down with a kid and you look at their crap books and draft books if they are not doing the things that we've talked about as best practice for these journals you immediately know they're not getting it immediately and that was such a game changer for Ochoa and I and it became something that we've become obsessed with um, in terms of just how much we believe in it and it costs you nothing it costs you two journals if you can't afford two you can do it with one like there's ways around it like there's you can do it digitally but it's something that we highly highly recommend and so if if you're if you've gotten to this point in this episode ladies and gentlemen and you are wanting more on that if you're wanting to dive into how to set up your own craft and draft journals all this stuff go to patreon.com slash craft draft join us if you join us, you get the the free video. We, we posted a long time ago. We've done multiple things about it. You can look at it. You can examine how we do it. You can tweak it. We want you to tweak it because we want you to give you your feedback, how it's working for you. So if you're struggling to get that data piece, if you're like, I just don't know how to make this work, my principles and everyone's telling me I need data, but I want to do workshop. We believe Craft and Draft is the answer. So if you haven't already support us, that's Pamela Cho. I'm Jacob Chassay. We're two educators down here in the state of texas doing what we love talking about english reading writing workshop and so much more including my car woes which hopefully are over besides (laughs) the fact that i'm broke for the rest of my life but ladies and gentlemen subscribe if you haven't already you guys broke the bank in terms of listens for september biggest month we've ever had on craft and draft which is super exciting always fun to see numbers come up so thank you guys for sharing thank you for sharing it with your plcs your plns and so much more come back next week for another great episode and as always know that we are here for you